I've always wanted to be an architect. I always wanted to be an architect. Oh my God. I have always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. On today's podcast is Dr. Sidney Turner. Dr. Turner is a psychologist and the founder of the nonprofit organization Resilient Retreat, an 80 acre, 30 bed retreat for victims of trauma. Their mission is empowering survivors of trauma to thrive through self-care and community. Our team was honored to have been chosen by Sydney to design the retreat, which we have been working on together for a few years now. It is slated to open in November 2022, and we're currently finishing up the construction as we speak. We have been lucky enough to get to know Sydney personally as well as professionally. And as my first interview for this crazy idea for a podcast, we thought it was a wonderful opportunity to give her the platform to present her organization, but also give our audience an opportunity to hear how architects work with nonprofits and to learn about the experiences we've had together. And for those interested, you'll get to hear about the Danish concept of Huga. Welcome, Dr. Turner. So why don't you tell us about Resilient Retreat? and how you got into Resilient Retreat. Of course. So Resilient Retreat offers free and evidence-based services for community members that have been impacted by trauma. Specifically, we serve survivors of abuse, like people that have gone through domestic violence, sexual violence, and child abuse. And we also serve helping professionals, anyone that's on the front lines helping our community every day, like police officers, nurses, and teachers. And as a nation, we do a really good job responding to crises, but there's a lot that happens after a crisis. So think of a hurricane. When you go and that hurricane ravages a community, it's not just the crisis of the hurricane. There's a lot of cleanup and rebuilding the community that happens afterwards. That's exactly what happens when people experience trauma. When people go through trauma, they lose a sense of who they are often. They often feel unsafe in their body. And it frankly often makes people sick. It impacts their physical health. Things like cancer, diabetes, heart disease. Most people don't know that, but trauma is directly impacted to your health. So at Resilient Retreat, we really help after that storm to help people rebuild their lives. And why did you start Resilient Retreat? We started it because of that unmet need, because we focus so much on the crisis and not about helping people rebuild their lives. And is it specific to this community that attracted you or is it in general or? Yeah, so we serve people nationwide, but there's something special about Sarasota in particular. We have a really great community here. It's pretty diverse compared to many areas in the country. We've got a great philanthropic community here and we have a huge, wonderful arts community and we use art as a means of healing. So it seems like a great place to start the organization. And how did you get this specific project started? What was the thought process and also the physical process of getting this thing going? Yes, that's a really interesting (laughs) question. So we started off with roughly 20 volunteers and that included psychologists, medical professionals, and most importantly, people who've lived through these experiences who know exactly what it's like to go through it. And we all came together with the goal of really helping people thrive after trauma. So we started by facilitating some evidence-based programs all around the community. 
We did things like equine therapy, neurofeedback, support groups, and all different types of arts and music therapies. And we did them in public libraries. We did them at schools. We did them all over. And now we've moved to a point where we have staff. We have six staff and over 180 volunteers. And we're working to build our retreat center on our 84 acres of land. How earlier had you started all of that before we met, before you decided, okay, we need to now create a facility and a campus? Yeah, I'd actually started this back when I was an academic working in a university. And I was a little bit frustrated as a researcher that it takes about 20 years for research to translate into practice. And I saw a need for people needing help now. And I didn't want to wait 20 years, frankly, for my research that I was publishing to get translated into practice. So I said, that's it. I'm leaving my academic job and I'm going boots on the ground to open a nonprofit. And the question was, where do we start a nonprofit? So I did a lot of research all around the community. Where would be a good place with a good philanthropic base to start a nonprofit? Where would be a place that was smaller, but not too small, not too big like a Tampa and had a lot of the resources in it that we needed to start something like this, like our booming arts community here in Sarasota. How did you find the property? Oh, the property was a labor of love. We actually worked with the Conservation Foundation to find a piece of land that was to be conserved. And we found a donor that was willing to donate the land. And we ended up with this beautiful 84-acre parcel of land off of Fruitville Road, as I mentioned, we were offering all these programs all around the community, and there are a lot of issues with offering programs like this out in the community. One is confidentiality. You cannot protect confidentiality when you're in someone else's setting. Two is confusing. So our participants found, like, where do I go today? Am I at the library today? Am I at the school today? So it was very disjointed. And we really lack control over the spaces. I remember we were doing a support group one time and we were told that the space would be quiet and they started hosting an event while we were in the middle of offering a support group. So that's exactly why we're like, okay, that's it. We need to have a space. We need one dedicated location to offer these services. So can you explain the, the program basically of what the project entails and what it includes and, and the, even the square footages and how the spaces relate? We really wanted to create one central hub for trauma in our community. So we knew in the beginning, we're talking about in the beginning here, we knew we wanted bedrooms so that people could participate in overnight programs and more consolidated programs instead of just meeting at libraries and schools. We knew we needed a mix of small and large group spaces that were flexible so that our programs could adapt and change over time. And we knew we needed a place that felt calm and peaceful. And so really, that's really where we came at the starting point. And then we're like, help us, please <laughs> figure out how to manage all of this because nothing like this has ever been created. Right. So out of all of that stuff, was there like one thing that absolutely was necessary in your mind that just knew that would make this place that much more special? Yes, nature. So nature was key to all of this. We have 84 acres of land. Let's utilize it. And the science shows that nature is incredibly healing for trauma survivors or anyone that's going through chronic stress. So we knew we needed to utilize the nature as much as possible. And we needed to work with professionals that understood that and were willing to incorporate that in everything we did. And then what led you to, one, deciding to hire an architect and two, deciding to hire a contractor and then creating that team. 
nothing like this has been done in the country or frankly, anywhere that I know of in the world. So this was a really unique project and we knew we were going to need a team of professionals to make it happen. And you can attest to that, Barry, all the unique things to this project. So we knew we needed to get some people that knew what they were doing on board. So we started by interviewing contractors and landed on Tandem Construction. And then they helped us start interviewing architecture firms. And explain that process of interviewing. So how did, you know, how did that exactly go? Yeah, so we, Tandem had given some recommendations for firms that we should reach out to. And so we set up meetings with four different firms. We met with them. We talked with them about our mission and our vision, and then we asked them for a proposal. And really what I was looking for when we were going through this process is who of all of these architect firms are passionate about our mission because a building itself epitomizes our mission. So that we needed to have someone to work with that really understood what we were doing and why we were doing it. And we were also looking for somebody that had experience working with nonprofits because nonprofits are their own animal. <laughs> They're <Yes>. very unique. <laughs> They're very different. And so that was another piece that was important for us. From your perspective, how do you how did how do you feel we did that? And how was the design reflective of that? Yes. So we actually made the building. We we went through many different iterations and many different design ideas, but we really created the building so that you walk outside as much as possible between spaces. So we created covered porches around the whole building and all of the bedrooms you enter from the outside. So you actually see nature as you're interacting with programs and in, in between programs, which is really unique. Are you confident that will translate to the way that your patrons and your the people that will participate? Do you think they're going to get that? They already are. So we have ongoing tours that we do every month and we have many participants coming and coming on the tours to see the building. And one of the things they always mention is that they love the connection with nature and they love that it really is connected into every element of the design from the window placements to it's it's just part of the whole project. Yeah. And I can tell you that the thought process of going through all that was intense, yes. right? As, and we really did try to connect those two, those two components, meaning the exterior natural environment to the built environment, yeah. two, two very different things. Okay, so have you ever worked with an architect before. Yes, I have. Personally, not professionally. Yes. Personally. On yeah. residential or commercial? Residential. Have you ever worked on a commercial project? with an No. Would you ever do it again? It would not have been possible to do this project without an architect. It was would have been impossible. The answer is yes. Absolutely. And, and did you enjoy the process? Yes, we did enjoy the process. I have to say... One thing I love, Baron, about you and Patty is you give 100% to your project. So it's really interesting because when we work with you, it, we would never even know you have other clients. It really feels that way to us. We really put 100% into the projects. And we spent hours and hours brainstorming and putting up drawings. And I loved it because it was such a creative process. It was like all of us around the room with different perspectives and different ideas with the architecture perspective, me with the psychology background. And how are we going to accomplish this? And how are we going to work together? So I really feel like we work together to create a piece of artwork. It really feels that way to me. No, and thank you. For that. <laughs> and, and it's interesting that you say artwork, because I think one of the things that people miss about architecture is that it is art, mm-hmm. you, you know, or at least it can be art. It can be a built structure, 
but it can also be art if it's treated like that. I'm glad to hear that. I think that's great. So looking back, were there any key moments or milestones or experiences in our process that we went through that just stick out in your mind and you're like, that was either really bad or really good? I think the the process of creating the building is a key milestone for me. And we did, we spent months yes. doing that, months. But I really see every day as a milestone. Every single day when I go out there and see the progress of the building, I laugh, I cry, I sit in awe. I've had all the emotions, all the gamut. So no, I really see every moment as a milestone. And it's unbelievable to work to create this and then to watch it be born. And I think one of the other parts that you're not saying is that this was a team effort. It wasn't just you or me as the designer versus the owner. So we included the contractor, we included other engineers and consultants and other people. And it really was this manifestation of, of the entire collaborative effort and collaborative team that I think responded to you and, and to what you wanted. And it wasn't just me. Really, I saw the whole process as being something created by the community. It wasn't just me or our board of directors or our staff, but we actually have a committee called Voices. And they're a group of people with lived experience, people who are in our community now who are have gone through trauma. And we showed them all the design plans. We showed them all the layouts. We showed them all the furniture plans and everything. And they gave us really helpful feedback, things I never would have even thought of so that we could create a space that was really created by the community for the community. And I think that's really what makes it most unique. No, and I think bringing up voices is interesting. And and that was new to us even as an architectural firm working on a project like this, to know that there was this other group out there, not only had had an opinion or had thoughts about the design, but those were rooted in experiences. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just going to another board or another subcommittee of people that wanted to get their opinion or their design input on, but it was truly based on experiences that these people were having directly related to your organization, which was a really interesting component from the design standpoint to include. Yeah. And the one thing I think of that comes to the top of mind is we had these beautiful beams, if you remember, Baron, that were set up to be in the living room and they were in a triangle shape. And I remember when I brought it to Voices, they're like, absolutely not. That cannot be set up that way. And I just thought it was so interesting to see them have such a strong reaction to beams. Right. Explain but, why. But in the reason being was that it reminded several of the members of Voices of faith-based communities, like a church almost, and, and several of them had been hurt within a faith-based context. And so they really felt, and we're, we're a non-denominational, not faith-based organization. So they really felt like it was important that our space did not feel religious because we are open to all faiths. Yeah, that was a, that's a great example of, mm-hmm. of, I think, how that whole thing was, was, was connected in terms of the design process. So would you have done anything differently? I think it's be honest. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think it's interesting because, and we struggle with this a lot. So as a nonprofit, it's often a challenge for us when we work with any for-profit, just the uniqueness with nonprofits. So like, I understand in an ideal world, You'd have one point of contact and one person, and but that's not how nonprofits work. And so decisions can take longer than we want them to because it's 
created by the community and there's a lot of stakeholders involved. And it's not really something different. It's more just the nonprofit culture versus the for-profit culture and how those two competing interests can sometimes have a hard time understanding each other. And then also, I think just there's always the struggle of this is a piece of art. It's, It's artistic. I see you as the painter of this artwork. They always say like an artist will create the best thing when they can just create it. But the problem with working with a nonprofit is that you're not just free creating it. It's a lot of people's feedback. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And how do we decipher what opinions to bring in and which ones to take out? And that's a hard iterative process. And there's budget. And there, oh, and there's, there's and then there's also money, right? So there's these artistic ideas, but we have fiduciary responsibilities because people are donating to us and they expect us as they should to be good about spending money. And so it's all of these conflicting things. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's really about doing things differently. It's more of just understanding that the complexities that come from doing a project like this. So what was the most challenging? COVID. By far, COVID was the most challenging thing um, in many different elements. You guys have done an amazing job of not bringing us into all of those elements of all of the challenges (laughs) with supply chain issues and permitting. I know our permits got held up a lot because of COVID and fundraising. It was challenged when the pandemic hit. And are we going to be able to continue this project? We're literally in the middle of everything when COVID hit and we're like, we going to move forward and we had to have a board meeting to decide whether to move forward. So, and our programs have been impacted. We are, we've seen over a 200% increase in people reaching out for services. So we're combating the programming side of things of juggling all of those with all of the additional challenges that come from a building perspective, which luckily you guys take care of most of that, which we're very thankful for, which is another reason why you need a really good contractor and architect to help you with these things. And do you see connection between when you open to provide these services with the challenges that you've had? How does that all work for you? Meaning, is there a rush to open as soon as you can? That's a really great question. That's a question we had to talk about when COVID first hit and our board of directors had to decide whether we moved forward or not on building the building. And in the end, our board of directors decided that the need was so great that they were willing to take the risk of building and fundraising during a global pandemic that happens once every 100 years and we had no idea how it's going to impact us. So yes, it does impact things. It, it shows that we need to do this soon, now, immediately, as quickly as possible, and that we're going to have to just jump through all the extra hoops to get it done faster. Who knows if we're coming out of COVID? Who knows? But do you feel like you're in a good place moving forward? I do. COVID has really taught all nonprofits, not just us, about diversifying revenue. And so it's really got us to think creatively about how we're fundraising and and how we're going about bringing revenue for the organization. It's obviously helped. I mean, our services are needed. And we've been really grateful that our community has stepped forward and been willing to help us. All right. So let's go back to design and construction. Mm -hmm. Now that you've had a chance to walk through and you've been walking through and you've seen the process of construction, Has anything just completely surprised you from a design standpoint, Mm -hmm. right? That you just go, wow, that's just, I didn't realize that that was the way it was going to be. There's many things. You guys did a beautiful job with our renderings, but they do not do justice for how amazing the building is. Please, anyone that wants to come out and take a tour, I highly recommend it. It's, It's absolutely stunning. But From an exterior perspective, I had no idea what it was going to be like driving up to the building. 
it's really, it's magical feeling. I don't know how else to describe it. And and then when you're at the building and you're walking under and you're walking under the, what is it called? The covered the canopy, the covered canopy the area, porcache. the porcache and the, and the beams, it's just absolutely breathtaking and, cool. and really fits well with the natural landscape. And then when you walk in and you walk through the front door, the first thing you're in when you walk in the front door is a great room. And it's just so peaceful. Right now, there's not really any finishes in it. But we have had participants, donors cry when they walk yeah. into the space. And people often say there's something spiritual or something, I don't know, they feel safe. And so we spent a lot of time, by yes. the way, talking about safety and talking about approaching the whole entire building from a trauma-informed perspective, which included windows and fans and many different elements. And I think it's paid off. Because- well, talk briefly about Huga. Oh, yes. Because that really was the basis. Yes conceptually of what that was about, what you're describing. And I don't even know if I still say it right. Hygge, I think. It's a Danish concept, which means coziness. And really, they say the Danes are some of the happiest people in the world because they they have this whole culture around Hygge, which is really just about creating self-care and coziness. And it's about textures and wood and how a space feels, the fireplaces and having a cup of tea and little cozy nooks. And so when we were coming up with kind of what the building would feel like, that feeling, I was like, you asked me, what do you want it to feel like? And I said, have you heard of this Danish concept right. called again? <laughs> and so we based the whole building around that. And I think it paid off. People feel it when they walk into space. And it's not even the finishes. It's just a concrete yeah. building right now. Just wait until all the finishes are in it, which really is what makes it get. Yes. No, Absolutely. And I can say the Porcache example is an interesting one because we designed so many different versions of that to get it right because it was the entrance. Yeah. And as an architect, I always say that it's about the client. As long as the client's happy, I'm happy. And that's truly how we feel. In this case or in an organization's case, specifically your organization, to hear that the people that are going to be participating in it feel that way also is even more than, even better to hear than you. And that's that's well, a battle that's you can client. ask for. And that's the difference between nonprofit is that the client is the community. It really is. Right. So they're, the, they're your clients that yeah. are happy. Absolutely. So now what are you most looking forward to? I am looking forward to being able to offer services there. That's really what it's all about is to be able to be there with our participants and to be using the space that we've been dreaming of for right. how long has it been? It's been about three years. Yeah, three years. That's why I cry. It was all a dream and we all created it together, which is, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And how about of all the different spaces? Because you, you mentioned there's all these different spaces, right? There's residential, there's the main room, which is both living and dining. Yeah. There's wings, different wings. So if I was asked, what's the most sort of special or fun thing that people aren't going to probably know is all the interesting little spaces around these buildings. And we deliberately did that. So what do you think, and even now we're talking about the barn and there's going to be a community event and therapy rooms there. And and what do you think is going to be the most interesting part of that or space? I think the community center is going to be a really powerful place with a lot of healing and a lot of activities happening there. And that one is really just a shell of a building right now. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what comes of that. Right. And how are we going to use that space? 
So that will be a space for both. Again, we used it as multifunctional as possible. We can do small groups, we can do medium-sized groups, and we can do large groups within that setting. So up to 100 plus people in that building. And the design reflects that because we have even... Retractable walls. Retractable walls, but, but the flooring is even made for dance. And You're for right. Things. You're right. Yeah. So yeah. the flooring, it was designed intentionally so that we could host events in there, but also do a yoga class or exercise classes in the space. So we really tried to make every space as multifunctional as possible. Right. No, and, and, and it was, it was surely <laughs> a challenge to yeah. try to figure out how to, again, and I've said this before, everything's a big puzzle to me, right? So there were all these puzzle pieces that we had to figure out how to put together so that ultimately the puzzle worked. And the community center actually was probably, I don't want to say the more difficult, but it had a lot of puzzle pieces. Permitting, it had its own issues because there were different fire ratings and different types of occupancies and things, stuff like that. So, And I don't even know what all the challenges were. There were I know there were many, um, but I don't even know what they all were. And I think that's another reason why it's so important to have good quality professionals helping you because... We have a lot to do besides worry about the building. So it allowed us to focus on what we're good at and you to focus on what you're good at. So having gone through the process, does anything come to mind that was surprising and that maybe were just was just beyond what you originally had thought? I believe we set aside about 10% for contingency, right? And what I have was most shocked by is all of the unexpected site-related expenses, like an additional septic system, all different types of unusual things that we were not anticipating. And so I think next time around, I will plan for a larger cushion for unexpected contingencies like that, that were not the fault of anybody. It was just things we could not have foreseen. And site work is like that. Yeah. Site work has that. Has that effect on projects, and and especially with your specific project, with the the conservation land, yes, and the amount of acreage, and the fact that it is out in the middle of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. So versus a property that is downtown has a little bit more definition to its facilities, where this one led to a lot of things that we just had no idea about. So now that you've gone through this. And, and not only have you gone through it as the founder to start off with the project, but now you've learned and you've experienced dealing with boards and dealing with other executive, your executive director who came on midway through the process and other board members and committee members. Is there anything that you would suggest or recommend or bring up to other boards or other organizations to be thinking about if they're considering doing something like this? and expanding or developing a project? One thing I would recommend to nonprofits is, and I understand you have a lot of stakeholders and a lot of people you need to get feedback from, but I would highly recommend having one point of contact that communicates those messages just to make things more streamlined and clear. And so otherwise there can be miscommunications that happen. And so I think it's just important to have one point person who's coalescing all the information in, in sharing that information with the construction team. Do you think that's feasible in a nonprofit? It is. I think it is feasible, but you got to make sure you've got the right person in that role. And someone who's going to be there for the longevity of the project. Because look at our project, it's probably going to be about four years. That's so right. you got to make sure you've got the right person that can 
interact with a lot of different people with a lot of different varying perspectives. And some people get heated. People have strong viewpoints. And so you need someone who's diplomatic and who can take a lot of different perspectives and find commonalities. As architects, one of the things that we start off talking about with nonprofits is that you do have to keep it to a minimum, right? We don't want to get into a situation with nonprofit organizations that they say, okay, here's our committee of 10, (laughs) because it just doesn't work. It doesn't work from a design standpoint, and it never results in as good results. And you can have the committee of 10. You need those community perspectives, but who's going to be the person that helps communicate the messages? Right. And have direct connection with the architectural firm, the contractor. And that's what we're talking about. That's Mm -hmm. the most important. So even being completely honest, we were figuring it out sometimes as we went along. And even though there are codes that give us parameters and whatever, even the codes, even the building departments didn't know what they were looking at. So they were trying to figure things out as they went along. And we were explaining codes or reworking codes to explain what we did. And it was a challenge. (laughs) Was there an aha moment? Like really like you're walking through and you're like, huh. When you drive in and you see the building, it's almost like your home, your safe, the placement of the building and just how important that was. We actually went out there and sat for hours and had a model and we... And look, you looked at sunlight. Yeah, we looked at sunlight and we turned the model. and, And I think the key to that is, is that it is important to do that in order to achieve the ultimate goal of getting exactly what you want. And that's hopefully what we did. So looking forward, as you now are in a position to either develop another project or or grow or expand and whether on another campus or what, would you keep with the same team or would you want to bring some new ideas in and, and go with a different architectural firm? Again, that's not up to me. I, I know it's so this is that nonprofit versus for-profit, but this is not it would not be up to me. It would have. It would be an organization-wide decision okay. about what to move forward with. But I can tell you, we've had a really great experience doing this together. And I think and we have to. I mean, it's been an amazing project. But I know it's never the answer people want. They're like, "Can you give me the answer?" I'm like, "I can't. I'm just one person." But and how many board members do you have now? We have eight board members now. Oh. Um, is that a norm? Is that a typical number for? organization? No, most have more, especially here in Sarasota. I've seen up to 20. What happens is they get too big and it's hard to function. So we've intentionally stayed small. We want to stay small. As we do. I think there's a correlation between our firm and why we connect because of the mentality that I think both of us do have, that it's not about necessarily becoming huge, but it's about providing a service, right? And and a quality service at that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why we connect it in that way in the beginning. It's been a great project. I can't wait to see what it looks like when it's all done. We can't either. And it is fun. I will say that the the process of, of continuously going out there and to just slowly piece each piece together. The last, So the last round of drone shots we took and we just posted something on social media and it was about the relationship of the materials, right? So now as we are getting further along in the process, you're starting to see that relationship of how the wood and the metal work and then how that is reflective in the feelings that people have when they walk through it. Like we were saying earlier, it's been really great. And we've enjoyed this immensely, as we have said. 
Three years. It really is a, a relationship that you build with your team. And I think that's probably what most people don't know when they start is that it's about building a relationship and working together as a team to accomplish the goals. And we totally enjoy that process. Yeah. Thank you very much. I think Thank this has you. been great. And I appreciate you coming and doing this. And I look forward to seeing this project finish <laughs> and, and, and complete and then hearing the response from you as the client. And again, more importantly, the people that are going to participate in, in this. And if they walk away feeling good, that's our success. That's your measure of success. So we're already hearing it. So I can't even imagine what it'll be like once it's done. Great conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to say that you thought of afterwards that you haven't had a chance to bring up in this conversation? Take your time hiring your team because you are going to have a very long personal relationship with that team mm -hmm. and take your time. I know there are often deadlines or requirements to get things done. And if you don't feel like you've had ample time to do your research and to interview and get references and get to know the people you want to hire before you do, extend the deadline, take the extra time because it's so important that you have a really great team. I feel like we've had a great team and it's made the process go you know, pretty smoothly, but I know of other nonprofits that haven't and it, it doesn't go as smoothly. So I guess take the time to date, <laughs> just like you do before <laughs> marriage, take the time to date before you commit to who your team is. Thank you for listening to our first episode of I Always Wanted to Be an Architect podcast. And we hope you listen to episode 10 for our final podcast of the season when we interview Sydney again and hear all about the completion of the project with a little surprise to our listeners for our last episode. In episode two, we'll be talking to Christy Walson, a sustainability engineer with a very fun childhood story.